Well, despite all the incredible mounting pressure, I have successfully completed my task. Not a single Christmas decoration went up until the day after Thanksgiving. I'm proud of myself. I consider it a victory. And uh, obviously, we are, we are in full-on Griswold mode now, but um, we've got a gorgeous house. My wife does such a good job with that. Uh, I have not done a single thing outdoors. I'm using the weather as my excuse, but hopefully that'll get done too. But we've obviously started a little bit here, and uh, there will be more to come this week. I know we've got several ladies who have some gorgeous stuff planned, but we are going to be doing something we call Advent. And um, this is an Advent wreath. I'll tell you a little bit more about it, but I've got two things, two pieces of information I want to share with you that um, I want to make sure you don't miss. The first is this little booklet. It is free. It's out in the back. Um, It was put together by the Village Church. Uh, Matt Chandler's the pastor there. But this has five devotions for you. There's a personal devotion for the adults, Um, maybe some students. Y'all might want to go ahead and do that as well. And then there's a family devotion once a week. So it's not, it's not this big heavy burden thing. Once a week, um, I want to challenge every single family to do that. I'll explain a little bit more about how all this kind of works. Um, grab you five candles if you can. If you don't even want to mess with that, that's totally fine, depending on uh, kind of what you're in the mood for. This goes to the detail of read this, and you read that. Click this on the iPod and you listen to this. I mean, it is spelled out. This is, this is dummy proof, okay? So um, enjoy this. It's really, really good. And there's some great suggestions in the back if you're looking for some good Christmas music for your family that will actually enrich, uh, enrich you, help you focus on Christ. There's several ideas there um, that you will thoroughly enjoy. Ideas for your family during the Advent season to create more time together. Just some great stuff in here. They're free on the way out um, in the back. The next thing is something, again, new for us. Um, We're going to try something. We've never done this before, but as I've been reflecting over our kids' stuff and what we're doing, we kind of have this amazing VBS in summer, and our kids grow so much. They invite their friends. It's this exciting thing, and and then it kind of carries to the next summer, and we have some good stuff going on. But I wanted something with some energy and excitement for our kiddos. So we're going to try to have something new. It's going to be called the Winter Blast. You'll see a sign up this week come out, but I wanted to kind of share with you about it. It's going to be January 17th, 18th, and 19th, Friday night, Saturday morning, Sunday morning. And we're going to do kind of a mini VBS. It's going to be fun. Uh, There's going to be crafts, games, music. Um, and one thing we're adding into this one, just to kind of, again, make it a little difference, is we're, they're going to have a science rotation. And we're going to be talking about God's Word and what it is, and specifically why your kids can trust God's Word. That's what the whole weekend's going to be about. And then we're going to try to create some really good times for your kids to build friendship. Pizza party, we're going to have a hot dog roast out here, uh, presuming the weather's permitting, and um, have a big, big pancake breakfast Sunday morning. be a great time. So look for that. Um, Obviously, we're going to need some help for that, but um, I've got several of our leaders ready to jump in on that, and you'll get a chance for your kiddos to sign up this week. So now, back to your regularly scheduled sermon here, Advent. This is what we're doing. Um, Obviously, there's a lot of stuff going on with Christmas, and Advent is not something we're trying to encourage y'all to just add on on top of three million other things, but it to be really truly a time 
heart reflection. And we're going to use some physical things to talk about that. We're going to preach from God's Word. We're going to sing songs like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And the reason we started with that being our very first Christmas song is it is the song of Advent. Advent means a waiting or an anticipation. And so it's a time looking forward to something happening. And the obvious one is Christmas, when Jesus was born. So many people for so many years looked forward to the day Jesus was born. And now we have the incredible privilege. We have spiritual opportunity like never in history before to look back on that first advent and know Christ has come. But the second purpose of advent is to look forward to Christ coming again. We're still awaiting His coming And that's why I love that song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, because it talks about Jesus coming for the first verse at Christmas. But then I don't know if you notice that all the other verses aren't about Christmas. It's about the second coming of Christ. When all our silly divisions cease and Christ is finally our King of Peace, don't you look forward to that day? And so we're going to take four weeks and we're going to wait and we're going to anticipate and we're going to train our hearts to look forward to that second advent of Christ. So here's kind of the history lesson, all right? It's a fun history lesson. The guys, I'm going to guess, are going to laugh at this one. But but here's the history of how we got to here, this re-theme with the yard waste and the candles and all that kind of stuff. How how do we get that being part of Christmas? Well, Christmas was officially set as December 25th in 336 A.D., a long time ago. They were celebrating before that, but that's after Constantine. It becomes official. And shortly after that, in 380 A.D., there's a written reference called the Council of Saragossa. It was a city. But the church was fighting a heresy, a false teaching. It was called Priscillianism. And it taught that Jesus wasn't really a human. He just kind of looked like a human. And they said, wait a minute. Have y'all never heard of Christmas before? I mean, that's really kind of the feel of what they wrote up. And so they gave this kind of official thing out to the churches. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to make sure everybody gets Christmas this year. That God the Son became a human. And so from December 17th through December 29th, they celebrated Advent, waiting for the Savior to come. And then shortly after that, it kind of gets lengthened because, hey, this is a good thing. Why not make it longer? So all four Sundays in December were looking forward. The first two Sundays in December looked forward to the coming of Christ as a baby, when he was born, when God invaded history as a person he'd been working all up to that time but he came God with us Emmanuel but then the second two Sundays didn't anticipate Christmas they again anticipated the second coming of Christ and so suddenly we kind of get this four Sunday thing the four candles that's where they come from but the wreath Where'd that come from? Okay, here's the fun part. I'm so glad you asked. In 1883, 
There was a German pastor, and their church had started kind of an orphanage, a mission school for the poor of the town. His name was Rauhas Haas. And Rauhas was a good dad, and he got ready for Christmas just like the kids, but the kids were driving him nuts. Is it Christmas? Is it Christmas? Is it Christmas? Can we open the present? They were going, uh, he couldn't take it anymore. So he went out to his shop, he grabbed an old wagon wheel that was sitting there and shoved 25 candles on it. A little red candle for each day, and he lit those each day of the week, and then four big candles, um, they were white, and he would light those each Sunday after the worship service. And so he could tell his kids, when the candles are gone, you can open your presents. So this is, this is actually just an elaborate scheme to get your kids to stop asking when they can they open the presents, all right? That's what this is really. But it obviously got very popular. Sometimes four white candles, sometimes three purple, representing Christ's royalty and our repentance, and a pink representing joy. And then a center candle was added in shortly after that for Christmas Eve to say Christ has come. And so this is what we're going to celebrate. We're going to remember this. We're going to remember that God did keep his promises to send a Savior, a Redeemer. And we can be confident because he's kept his previous promises that he will keep the promises to come to send Christ back, to make all the wrongs right. So each week we'll light a candle and we'll anticipate Christ's advents. The first advent in memory, kind of thinking back with what Christians or believers in God went through all those years waiting, and also the advent of Christ come, coming again. So today I'm going to light a candle. I'm going to light what we call the prophet's candle, There are kind of two systems of Advent. One talks about kind of the people and the places, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about Bethlehem and shepherds and um, angels and then the prophets. Other systems use love, joy, hope, and peace. They kind of go together, but not quite. The little book out there uses love, joy, hope, and peace, so you can kind of get both aspects of that. But today, we're going to talk about the prophets. So, if you have your Bible, open to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. One verse, that's our text today. Genesis 3.15, but I think you'll be helped if you open your Bible there. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a black Bible in those chairs. You can grab that. Um, it's in the first few pages there. Genesis is the first book of the Bible. So here's kind of what's happened up to this point, because we're going to jump right into the middle of the story. God has created, and it's a good creation. He says it's good. Adam and Eve are together. They're happy. They're fellowshipping with God. There's no conflict in their marriage. It's a perfect place. They have everything they need. And then sin enters the world. Eve is tricked by a serpent who had been possessed by Satan himself. And then it all goes south. And here's what happens. God starts to speak. He curses the serpent. He curses Adam. He curses Eve because of their sin. They're punished for that. And right in the middle of this, when God is talking to the serpent, when he's talking to Satan, 
And he's cursing him for what he has done. We're going to read this curse. And in the middle of the curse, which is not happy, we see this great proclamation of good news. This for millennia has been called the Proto-Euangelion, the first gospel. So listen and read with me now. Genesis 3.15 I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this may not seem a whole lot like a Christmas passage or really that much at all. And and I'm with you a little bit there. One of the great privileges I've been blessed with is I got to take Hebrew class with a, a great Hebrew scholar. And one of the first things I learned is he goes there, here's the reason to learn Hebrew. I want to tell you about this verse. And he, he actually preached a sermon. That was our first day in Hebrew class. It was a sermon on this verse. And the Hebrew language, the pronouns are very, very specific. Like, you can tell if it's one person or two people. You can tell that it's actually got a, a special, like, weird ending thing that, of course, he made me memorize for three people. It, it's got all these very specifics. You can tell if it's a man or a woman or a group. And here's what I learned about this amazing passage. We're going to break it down phrase by phrase. So can I keep your finger there and we're going to work through it. The first thing God says is, I will put enmity or, or war or hatred between you and the woman. So instead of this flirtatious relationship that Eve had with the snake, we find out it's the devil himself and Eve will hate Satan and long from the day that she will be rid of him, but he will hate her and fight against humankind, her kids, for ages to come. And then God says, and between your, that's Satan's offspring, this is, this is where the Hebrew gets interesting. That's a collective noun. There's a bunch of little evil ones. And her, that's Eve's offspring. Again, a collective noun, a bunch of people. All coming from a single great-great-grandma. That's us. That's what we see today. The, the fight that's going on. Whether it's your sink breaking because you tried to shove the trash bag box in there too much, too hard last night. The car breaking down. The grief that mom or dad and her uncle isn't here anymore. We're still fighting all of this. The followers of Satan and the human race would begin a lifelong battle to the death. And unfortunately, it's the death of us. This grim news is the first part of the prophecy of what was to come. It's that things are not right and they will never be made right by any people, any of the sons or daughters of Eve. But God doesn't stop there in this little prophecy. We, we know we're in a losing battle with sin and death and evil and Satan. And every time we watch the news or try to get out of bed on a cold morning, we're, we're reminded of this. But God gives the gospel, the good news, the hope that sin that was broken into this world in the garden shall go away. And it's this, there in 3.15 at the end. And he shall bruise your head, 
and you shall bruise his heel. And he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And this simple phrase is the greatest promise ever. You see, the pronouns switch to the group of people, the little evil ones and, and Eve's kids, to two singular masculine individuals. Two men will duke it out using the imagery of ancient pest control terminology. They're going to do some snake stomping. The entire world is the stakes. You see, to two fig-leaf-clothed humans, there's no shotgun, or my favorite, weed whacker, to take care of that ancient old snake infestation. It works, trust me. They go flying through the air. It's awesome. But God gave them a vivid picture they understood. God was going to send a dude to stomp that evil, nasty, lying, cheating, stealing, killing, and destroying Cernic. The eternal God-man exterminator was coming to rid the universe of the ultimate vermin. God was going to make things right. And he was going to send a guy to do it. But in that act of stomping, crushing, and destroying the snake, a man without a boot would be in trouble. Just like a cornered, coiled rattler today, the devil lashed out and his fangs landed home. In a desperate strike and against an overwhelmingly powerful enemy, the devil bit the heel of this man God would send. Now that might sound like an inconvenience to you or me, a trip to the hospital in our modern world of medicine and anti-venom, rubber soles, leather, and weed whackers. But that news would have crushed the hearts of Papa Adam and Granny Eve because they knew that none of those options were available for uncovered feet. The strike of the serpent would, be deep, would bite deep into the flesh of this coming man's foot. And we as humans were yet to fully learn sin, Satan, and rebellion. This darkest, foulest, most deadly poison would be injected into God's man. So who would win this epic battle of snake stomping? Who would finally die in the end? Well, unlike all the Disney movies where the heroes triumph and the evil dragon is slain, both die. One is crushed and the other is poisoned by sin. What an odd feeling for old Adam and Granny Eve. God sending a hero to finally kill the snake and then you hear he's going to die. Well, prophets who would follow for the rest of history and then the church sometimes would echo this same thing, that the best of messages is hard to hear. It's hard to visualize and it's hard to understand in the details, but, but Granny Eve took what she had and she trusted God. God was sending a man to make things right and she believed that. So when she had a son... Her first son, her only son so far. She named that boy, baby boy Cain, which meant I've gotten it. 
That's what it means in Hebrew. I've gotten it. I've gotten the man. The man's coming to stomp the snake. But sadly, that mama would be disappointed. You see, I've gotten it was corrupted by sin too. He didn't stomp the snake. He killed his brother. But even then, Eve kept having hope. You see, she named her third boy after one rebelled and one was killed, Seth. The name. Him. He's gonna do it someday. I trust in him. And on and on it went. Human history unfolds. And we're waiting and waiting and waiting for that one man who would make everything right again by his death. And there was many, many a heartbroken mama that saw a sin-corrupted son they thought would finally get it right. To keep those heartbroken, sinful mamas and that sin-broken, failed son going, to keep them from going mad or giving up hope, God sent His prophets to give them messages. Through Jeremiah, He said this, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up For David, a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. That sin problem would be solved. And Isaiah agreed and said he would come from David's family, but not only that, he was going to fix everything. He said, There shall come forth from the shoot a stump of Jesse, from the shoot, oh boy, let me just try that again. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by what he sees or decide disputes by his ears hearing, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And the wolf, it will dwell with the lamb. And the leopard's going to lie down with the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fatted calf together and a child shall lead them. What a good place. But they wait in. It continues on. Isaiah said that Jesus would be born of a virgin because He's God on earth. Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and He shall call His name Emmanuel. Then Micah tells us that He would be born in Bethlehem and He would rule. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you shall come forth the one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from the ancient days. And then Hosea, that prophet with the worst job in all history, said he would escape the tragedy that was going on on the earth as he came from Egypt. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. And then Isaiah asked him that he would grow up in Nazareth. And then he would love messed up folks 
broken folks like you and me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, to open the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort everyone who mourns. Zechariah said he'd be inaugurated king. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey? I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall seek peace to the nations. He shall rule from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. But, just as that bitter note of that heel strike came, the echoes sounded forth. Psalm 118 from David says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. He would be pierced and beaten and killed as those sweet kiddos quoted before for our sins. But David knew he wouldn't remain in that cold, dark grave. He said, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. He would raise again. All these prophecies though, all these people looking forward to that light that would come, they got messed up, taken wrong. And Jesus finally came on that Christmas night. And the only people who got it were some stinky shepherds, a poor mama and daddy, and the angels. Oh, and then there were these weird dudes who came from some other country looking at stars. But that mama saw something no mama has ever seen before her. You see, the next prophet, Simeon, who she met in the temple, said this was finally the mama who was going to bear the man who Jesus was. He was going to be the snake stomper. But it wasn't all unicorns and cotton candy. Listen to what he says. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your words, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for your glory of the people of Israel. His father and his mother marveled as what was said about him. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. A sword can pierce your heart, but not your soul. Simeon told her of the death. Her son would die. The prophetess Anna got it. She told everyone she could find that Jesus is the one who would fix it all, but hardly anyone heard. Hardly anyone listened. The snake had so confused the minds and sin had so corrupted the hearts that what were in fact two advents were confused as one 
And it didn't stack up to what they expected. So those people killed him. God's man. God the son on earth. They killed him. When he allowed them to. And ironically, they fulfilled all the prophecies they'd received about the suffering servant. But he rose up. He rose from the dead, and then they still missed him. You see, it's like they were looking at two trees that were standing in a perfect row. And as you're looking, it might look like one big old clump of foliage. It wasn't until that timeline had passed and that first tree was gone, they could see the second. They missed it. They missed it. So the call to you today is don't miss. In hindsight, we can look back and we can see it. We are privileged above all peoples. Don't miss Jesus. He's the Savior. He'll save you from your sin. He will take away that corruption that's so deep in our hearts. And give us His righteousness. That's the call to you today if you don't know Him. But if you do, there's a second message from the prophets. Jesus is coming back. There's a second advent. And just like in the Garden of Eden, God gave the first prophecy. Once again, God is the first to speak and say, My boy is coming back. It's going to be good. Listen to what Jesus said. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not told you? I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am you may be also and you know the way where I am going. And he says, to Thomas when he says, wait, wait a minute, Jesus, we don't even know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He was and is God's man. So then the prophets burst forth and explode. Paul said this, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, death, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Jesus' old bud Peter, he couldn't keep his mouth shut ever, so he said this, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be? Live lives 
of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of our Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting. We are adventing. For the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And finally, Jesus' closest friend closes out the Bible. He says, don't give up. It's going to get great real soon. So have hope. He said it this way. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And the one sitting on it is called Faithful. And true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and purple, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of the Almighty God. On his robe and on his thigh are written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And then he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. He was on an island when he wrote this. That's what he writes down. No more ocean. I'm not stuck. I'm not bound. I'm free. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for his, her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be any mourning or crying or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making everything new. He also said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And the one who conquers will have this heritage. That I will be his God, and He will be my Son. Suddenly, there's a garden and a bunch of men and a bunch of women enjoying each other and most of all enjoying God. There's no war. There's no fighting. There's no pain. There's no death. So all I need to say to you today is have hope from the prophets. The light that shines from the prophets. Wait in eager anticipation because when that happens, that snake's going to be real flat. And we'll walk with God again.
Would you pray with me? God, we wait. Lord, your kids waited for thousands of years for you to come the first time and they wavered and got confused. Lord, we pray by your mercy as we wait again that we would not be deceived by that cunning snake trying to get out of his death sentence. Jesus, may we trust you May our eyes be ever on You. May we wait in hope and confidence quietly in You. Lord, I pray for the heart that's hurting this morning, and I pray that You would give them Your hope by Your Spirit. May we trust You, Jesus, that You are coming again. May we wait well. In Jesus' name, amen.